This is Your Partners in Pain, a podcast that aims to bring together those who live with pain, healthcare providers who treat chronic pain, and researchers working on topics that affect people living with pain. This podcast is a must-listen for anyone experiencing pain or anyone trying to help those who live with it. Your Partners in Pain is presented by the Saskatchewan Pain Society, also known as SAS Pain, and I am your host, Alexandria. Each episode, we are going to speak to Saskatchewan-based healthcare providers and researchers who have information and education to share about pain science and pain care. We are also going to speak with everyday people as they share their incredible stories of living with pain and the techniques they've used to help manage it and live well. It is important to note that the information presented in this podcast represents the opinions of the host and the guests that appear on the show and not that of SAS Pain. The content presented should not be taken as direct health care advice, but for informational purposes only. Because each individual is unique, please consult your healthcare provider for any questions or concerns you have, or before you incorporate any of the ideas presented in this podcast into your own treatment plan. In episode 14, we're talking to chronic pain pharmacist Kelly Kislik, who works with MedSask at the University of Saskatchewan. Kelly discusses the holistic, patient-centered approaches she and her colleagues take for helping pain patients with their medications, including shared decision-making, multimodal approaches to pain treatment, and putting patients in the driver's seat by giving them as much information as they need to make choices about their medications. For Kelly, working as a chronic pain pharmacist is ultimately about letting humans be humans. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining me today, Kelly. How are you doing today? I'm well, Jessica. How are you? Thank you so much. I am doing great. I'm always excited to get a chance to talk to you, uh, and I'm looking forward to what we get to talk about today. So if you can explain to listeners who may not know, uh, what is the role of a chronic pain pharmacist? Great question, Jessica. And I'm going to start a little bit. I wanted to, to first of all, chat about my journey as a pharmacist. Um, And I think it's a good preface because I am, I've been a pharmacist for a while, but a little bit relatively new to the chronic pain world. And just to really acknowledge that I'm still learning here. And I think that that has definitely been a theme throughout my career. So just to rewind, I've been a pharmacist for a while. This is my 20th year as a pharmacist. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I convocated when I was 12. No, that's that's not true. But um, convocated back in 2002. And you know, I've worked my way through community pharmacy and hospital pharmacy. I've worked in hospital. I've worked in some other chronic condition clinics. And um, like I said, throughout my career, I've really um, come to realize how much we just continue to grow and to learn. And acknowledging that, you know, what I learned about chronic pain, for example, when I was a pharmacy student back in 
early 2000s, late 90s, is so different from where we're at today, right? And, you know, even over the course of the couple of years, what I've learned. And so that's really, I, I just wanted to kind of set that context for our conversation. But back to your question about a chronic pain pharmacist, and, and this is, I'll kind of speak to what my role looks like, because, you know, the role of pharmacists and, and even pharmacists working in specialized areas like chronic pain really differs, right? There's There's a lot of different roles that are out there. But in my world, um, so I'm part of an interdisciplinary team. I work really closely with other healthcare professionals, um, particularly in my clinic. I work with a physiotherapist and a social worker, also a physician with uh, that specializes in chronic pain. And what our role is and what my role as a pharmacist is, is really around education. Um, we work to promote self-management, so helping to give our patients the tools. And sorry, I use the word patients. Patients and clients is interchangeable. Patients has always felt um, friendly to me, but I understand how some people don't always like the word patient. So I'm working on finding the right word. And I ask my the people that I work with every day, you know, what do you like to hear? So I might use the word patient sometimes, and that's not meant to be offensive. So people living with pain. Anyways, we work on, on self-management. Obviously, as a pharmacist, I'm looking really closely at medications and monitoring your medications, taking a best possible medication history, choosing the right medications, looking at the dosing, looking at interactions, and then monitoring the medication use um, while folks are on medications. Another big part of that medication piece is something called deprescribing, <laughs> which I know um, some folks might think, well, you're a pharmacist, isn't your world kind of medication? You know, part of being a good pharmacist is recognizing when medications aren't needed and when maybe they aren't, they shouldn't be used any longer and there isn't a role for them. So deprescribing is a big part of what I do as a pharmacist. Um, obviously, as a chronic pain pharmacist, if you look at the context of of the world that we live in, um, I do a lot of work around opioid stewardship and then advocacy. And this is something that I am learning a lot about is how to be a better advocate for the people that I work with every day. And so, you know, participating in a podcast like this and listening to some of the other episodes has been really important to me because it's through hearing some of these stories that I can be a better advocate. So that's a little bit more about my role and what a role as a, as a pharmacist that works in chronic pain might look like. Wow. And I, I really appreciate you going into all that kind of depth and background because I think it really highlights how um, I'm going to use the word now patient client centered your your work is and how important that is in a chronic pain pharmacist. Um, you, you mentioned your journey, you're your learning, you're growing and and, you know, even the debate around, OK, patient or client really shows that, um, you know, it's it's about what works best for the people that you work with rather than what works best for you or what works best for the system. And I know that for a lot of people living with chronic pain, you know, that's not the treatment that they get terribly regularly. So it, it, it's really important to hear that. And I, I want to say, I appreciate all the work you're doing to make sure you're putting these people first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So much learning and, you know, language matters and you're right. I've heard about people's experience in healthcare and I'm so sorry. It hurts my heart to hear those stories. And I just want those people to hear that as a healthcare professional, I'm really committed to making it better for you. Right. So thanks for sharing the stories. Cause that's what helps me to be better. So, yeah. Aww. Well, we could go back and forth about thanking each other for a long time and <laughs> yeah. I would love to, but <laughs> so let's keep the ball rolling here. Um, so obviously just 
keeping on with this patient-centered practice idea, um, some chronic pain clinicians and researchers are advocating for these kinds of, of practices and procedures where, you know, it's the people living with pain that are put first. Um, and it gives them more voice and more autonomy within healthcare settings. So you've obviously started talking about this already, but can you elaborate a little bit more on how you work with people living with pain in a patient-centered way? Mm-hmm. The first and most important thing for me is um, to be a good listener. And my work as a chronic pain pharmacist, I've I've done a lot over the last little bit on like communication, right? I thought I could listen. I thought I knew to, knew how to have good conversations, but wow, I've been working a lot on just how to listen effectively and how to communicate effectively. So that's the first thing that is really important to me is to be a good listener. I need to hear what's going on um, so that I am in a better position to help. Um, and by being a good listener and hearing people's stories, it really works on developing those relationships, right? And developing that rapport. Um, I think that you need that relationship in order to do good work together, right? You need to trust me as a healthcare provider and I need to trust you. And, and that's part of it is, is listening um, and then developing that relationship so that we have trust going forward. And in hearing someone's story and hearing what they come from and what their world looks like, it helps me to understand what your preferences are, what your needs are, like what do you value in life, right? And those preferences and needs and values are really important um, in making decisions about your healthcare moving forward. That's a really important part of all of the decisions that we make. So, you know, that's why listening is really, really important to me. Um, one of my philosophies for patient-centered care is that um, as a pharmacist, I'm not here to tell you what to do. And this looks a little bit different from when I started as a pharmacist. I think I was very used to like giving recommendations and standing there to say, well, I think you should take this and this and this and this. And that's that's shifted for me in my mind because I think my role is to give people good information. So I'm here to make sure that you have all the information that you need to make good decisions. And certainly, you know, some people are still looking for advice and like, what would you do? And, and really, once again, it's me making sure that you have all the information that you need and helping you to make the considerations and weigh the pros and the cons and, and think about all of the things that you need to think about to guide you and to help you make that best decision. Um, and I think probably the other thing that's really important to me when it comes to patient-centered care um, is that is recognizing that it is often a team, right? And obviously with the patient at the center of it, but there are there's there's a there's a network there. Hey, there's a community there. And so my role as a pharmacist is to work with patients. It's to work with the existing care team. You know, who else is in your life right now? You're family physician and a nurse practitioner that might be involved, other pharmacists. You know, I work closely with community pharmacists or if a patient's admitted to, to hospital or acute care, a hospital pharmacist, other physiotherapists, occupational therapists, exercise therapists, social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, you know, there is a team. And, and part of that team can also be support, you know, caregiver support, family support. Um, I've heard that, that adage before it takes a village, right? And I think that certainly patient-centered care is also one of those villages. And it's really important that we, um, we recognize that and, and support it and foster it. Wow. That is 
so comprehensive, but also just so simple. Um, it makes me think of a lot of the, uh, the data that we collected in the Improving Pain in Saskatchewan project, hearing from people and their lived experiences. They said a lot of things, obviously, but two main ones that I want to bring up in connection with what you just said. One of them is that they uh, people often felt that healthcare providers didn't take the time to hear them, you know, and, and obviously this is kind of structural in that doctors just don't have a lot of time for patients and, and all that kind of stuff. So it sounds like in your approach, you get to take that time to sit down with people and to hear really what's going on for them, because all that context is really important in making those, those decisions that they need to make. And then the second one is, um, understanding that your role is to give information rather than to be a source of authority. Um, because lots of people want to be in the driver's seat of their own healthcare and often feel disempowered by the medical system. So it sounds like you, you've really kind of taken these things that people are saying they want to change about the healthcare system and implemented them. And that's so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. To go back to that time piece, I, I have to recognize that I am very fortunate in the role that I'm in. And, you know, I have to thank my leadership team at, at the clinic that I work at because they have really worked hard to foster that. And so it is definitely, I'm in a fortunate position to have that time. And I absolutely recognize that many care providers don't have that time, but it's one of the reasons why, you know, anyone on my team can, can attest to the fact that I fight for it. Like I keep fighting about how important it is that we, you know, have these conversations that we make time for these conversations that we do that. Right. And just because we didn't do it in the past, doesn't mean we can't change that going forward, you know, and it's something that as healthcare professionals, we have to, to I think, advocate for is that, you know, a 10 minute appointment just doesn't cut it for some of this stuff and that we need to to mobilize <laughs> um, our decision makers to allow for more time. So yeah, totally agree with that. Absolutely. Well, and when you're talking about, you know, the, the seriousness of what some medications can be like, that, that amount of time ends up being even more critical. So, you know, in that vein, um, lots of people living with pain generally have concerns about their medications, often things like uh, addiction or side effects. And so I was wondering how you deal with those kinds of concerns in your own work. Mm -hmm. um, so once again, concerns and questions are, are best addressed with lots of education and for information, right? So once again, we go back to the conversations I have with folks is that we need to, to talk about these things. I also like to make sure that that the folks that I'm working with are armed with resources and tools. So when there are resources and tools available, and sometimes there aren't, you know, we've got a lot of work to do in the chronic pain world for tools. Um, but when there are resources available, like what can I give you, right? And then, you know, some of these conversations, Jessica, when it comes to pain medications and pain management, and, you know, you touched on addiction and you touched on, on, you know, some of these things, they can be tricky conversations to have with folks. And my approach and something that I'm really working on as a pharmacist is to take a curious approach to these conversations versus a judgmental approach. And that's where... Um, that, that's something I think that might've shifted and maybe it's not that it's shifted for me, but I, I don't know that I had the awareness about how maybe some of what I was saying was coming across as being more judgmental than I wanted it to be. And that's not what it's about. I just need to be curious. I just need to ask, like, 
you know, what does this look like? Like, how do you find yourself taking this medication? Um, you know, what do you think about these side effects or what do, you, what do you think about the potential for this to happen? You know, how would this fit into your life right now? And so that, that curiosity around it has kind of really helped with some of these conversations. And I hope that the folks that I'm working with have, have, um, found it to be helpful. Um, but it's just, you know, once again, fostering openness. I want people to be able to come to me and not feel that, you know, anything is off limits, right? I'm here to talk about anything because, you know, we talk about we talk about the stuff that happens when you get side effects. Like I talk about lots of poop. <laughs> <laughs> I talk about lots of things. Uh-huh. And like, you just got to come to me. We got to talk about it, right? Some of these medication side effects have really significant sexual side effects, which can be a bit of a hot topic for folks, right? Mm-hmm. I want people to feel open. And so it's it's just that curiosity. And sometimes, you know, people aren't quite ready for the conversation. That's okay too. You know, I'm here when you need me and when you're ready for it. Wow. Yeah, that non-judgmental approach really makes a big difference in people feeling like they can trust, you know, bringing these sensitive discussions to you because a lot of times what we hear from people is that, you know, they bring sensitive subjects up with healthcare providers and then they're shut down or, you know, then uh that information, you know, gets shared with organizations that it wasn't meant to be shared with and has repercussions later on down the road, especially when it comes to things like opiates and addiction. So that kind of um, curious approach is is really important, um, especially when you're talking about things like risk versus benefits. Um, And so what does that look like in your work? Mm -hmm. That risk versus benefit conversation is one I have regularly. And this is a really important part of the work that I do. And sometimes I frame it as, you know, what can this medication do to you? And what can this medication do for you? right? So risk and benefit, what can it do for you? What can it do to you? And it's a balance for most people. And so it comes down to, you know, really talking about here's all the benefits, here's what we can actually do for you with this medication. And then here's all the risks, here's all the potential side effects, you know, here's the cost associated with it. Here's, you know, what this therapy looks like and and the potential harms. And then we weigh that out, right? And anytime that the risk outweighs the benefit, we got to seriously consider this medication and whether or not you should actually be taking it, right? And that balance, Jessica, looks different for everyone because, you know, it's very individualized. And that's something else that's really important to me as a pharmacist is that people recognize how unique each and every one of us is and every approach should be individualized. But to go back to the risk and benefit, you know, for some folks, um, a small benefit might be worth a significant amount of risk, right? Just because they're in a position where they just need something. Mm -hmm. And so they might be willing to take on a little bit more risk of side effect because of even if the benefit is small, they want to consider that medication. Um, for some folks, some of the potential risk, like say for or take for example, drowsiness, right? Mm-hmm. For some people, drowsiness, mm, not that big a deal, Kelly. I can handle it. You know, for other people that might be driving or working every day, they might be a caregiver to a loved one or a parent of young children, that's a really significant adverse effect. That risk scale tips a little bit differently, right? And so you really have to weigh the risk and the benefit um, on an individual basis. Once again, I'm here to tell you all about the benefits, 
all about the risks and guide you in how to judge that balance for yourself. Wow. Well, as as a medical anthropology student, I have to say that context is my bread and butter. Context is like the lifeblood of everything I do. And so I'm so excited to hear you talking about these individualized approaches because um, very often when um, medication is discussed with healthcare professionals, um, oftentimes primary care physicians and things like that, it's, it's seen as a one-size-fits-all kind of solution, right? You know, this medication mm-hmm. is effective for condition X. So that's what I'm prescribing to you. But those those contexts and those individual approaches that you're talking about are so important because you're right. Every single person is living a different life than everybody else. So those equations, those discussions have to take those things into account. Um, And so then how do you go about finding the right solutions for people that you work with when, you know, uh, the healthcare system tends to treat medications, you know, like the hammer and all pain, like the nail, if that makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Those solutions, you know, once again, individualized, right. And it, it takes like, we do a very robust assessment, say at the clinic that I work at and have a lot of discussion back and forth with, with the people that we're working with and other care providers to then really come up with some of these solutions. Um, I'm just going to go back for a sec though too, Jessica, as we were talking about that risk versus benefit piece, I was also thinking about some of the other things that are important to me as a pharmacist to pass on to the folks that are living with chronic pain. And so these are other things that I would want people to think about as you're considering the solutions, right? And and as particularly if you're considering medication as a solution. So the risk versus benefit is an important um, um, consideration. The other thing that I like to talk about with folks is around the idea of lowest effective dose. And we, both of those words are really, really important. So we were just chatting about harm and about side effects, right? And so that's where this lowest effective dose really comes in because the higher your dose is, sometimes the more at risk for side effects you are. And so it's really important to me that folks understand um, this principle of lowest effective dose because we want to keep that medication in a safe range, right? That's where lowest comes from. Um, But then it's also really important to think about effectiveness, right? There's no sense in taking something if it's not doing anything for you. So the lowest part is to minimize side effects. The effective part is obviously to make sure you're getting the benefit from that medication. So lowest effective dose is um, an important consideration. The other thing I focus on with folks um, when I'm having conversations uh, uh, and considering medications as a solution is around doses and duration. So we talked a little bit about dose and making sure that it's effective. Duration is also important. And I, I really like to spend some time educating people around, you know, how pain medication works, right? And I loved when Juliet was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and spoke about, you know, the pain 101 and how does pain work in your body? So I like to talk about that as a pharmacist too. But then I also talk to people about, you know, how do medications work in your body? Where along that pain signal do medications work? When you understand that, you come to realize that, uh uh-huh, it might take a little bit of time for these medications to work for me. And that's where, you know, making sure that people understand what the effective dose is and how long you actually need to be on these in order for medications to work. So that duration is really important. And with all of these conversations, 
realistic expectations are important, right? People need to know what to expect for when this medication is going to start working and exactly what it's going to do for you. Once again, this is a whole other podcast that we could talk about, but many people don't realize that for some of these medications that we use in chronic pain, it's not really realistic to think about completely eliminating your pain. Like, I'm not sure, um, Jessica, if you have an idea of, of, you know, expectations for pain management medications, but, you know, as a researcher, you might've come across this, but to, to get a stamp of approval in, in Canada to be a pain med, medications need to show a 30 to 50% benefit. So that, or reduction in pain, sorry, a 30 to 50% reduction in pain. So that doesn't mean that I'm going to completely get rid of your pain with a pain medication. It doesn't even necessarily mean that I'm going to get you from a 10 out of 10 to a 3 out of 10. Best case scenario is like a 7 out of 10, maybe 5 out of 10. And so that's that's a really important part of this conversation as well, right? So to kind of go back to that benefit and risk, making sure that you have realistic expectations around what benefit looks like is an important part of the work that I do. And then, you know, I just gave you the example of measuring things on a scale of 10. And <laughs> that good old one to 10 scale that every pain patient knows, hey? <laughs> <laughs> oh, on a scale of one to 10 or zero to 10. I, I often, I, I, I collect that because that's still an important part of, of monitoring medication and pain control. I like to focus on function. And, you know, what is this pain medication doing for you? Are you actually moving better in your day? You know, if one of your goals is to be able to get to your mailbox uh, daily, is this pain medication actually getting you to your pain ma- or to your mailbox? You know, if your goal is to be able to sit on the floor and play with your grandkids, is this pain medication actually helping with that? Right? Is your goal to get up in the morning and get out of bed? <sighs> you know, is this medication helping you with that? You know, are you feeling less stiff and less sore, sore in the morning? So, you know, I, I kind of pulled us back into that previous question that you had asked me, but I really, I really wanted to talk a little bit about that because that's really, really important information to keep for people to have when we're talking about risk and, and benefits. So no, I, I honestly think you actually just answered also the question that I asked the second question, because really, um, like I said, the healthcare system tends to treat medication as the, the one size fits all solution, right? That's just, you know, you take it and you get better, but everything you've just told us is really important in understanding why medication is not that one size fits all solution and giving people the information that they need to understand, okay, what is this medication doing for me? Should I continue to take this medication? And is, is the risk, you know, worth the reward essentially? So I I think you did an excellent job of answering (laughs) that question. Thank you, Kelly. (laughs) Um, and, and I really feel like, I've learned things about medication that I would never have considered and I'm a healthcare researcher. So, you know, if I don't know these things, I can't blame, you know, other people who don't work in this field for not knowing them. And it goes to show just how important it is the work that you and your team are doing to share this information with people so that they can make evidence-based 
decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you bet. Uh, and so, you know, uh, just to, to keep this moving along, because man, I could hear you talk about this for hours, honestly. We could do a whole podcast just with you, <laughs> Kelly, about chronic pain and medication. Um, but we've been talking about this kind of holistic view of, of patients, looking at them as, as a whole person, um, taking their context into consideration, taking their individualized situation into consideration. So when we think about things from that kind of point of view, um, is there a particular style or approach of working with chronic pain that you think is most effective as a chronic pain pharmacist? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I'm going to, first of all, go back to something that you just said about um, evidence-based medicine and the importance of that. And I'm sure that you know, folks living with chronic pain and any healthcare professionals that are listening, we throw this term out there a lot, right? Evidence-based medicine. And it is it is the backbone of how I work as a pharmacist. And I, what I wanted to kind of talk about with that though is, is exactly kind of what evidence-based medicine looks like for me as a pharmacist and the way that I practice it. Because I think it's more, you know, when we hear evidence-based medicine, I don't know about you, but my first thought kind of goes to, well, evidence, like the science, right? the research. Yep. Yeah. Uh, You know, double blind studies and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Number needed to treat, number needed to harm. Look at us geeking out over Uh research. (laughs) (laughs) And research is important. Research is really important. The evidence is, is exactly what we know. It's our data. Here's the other thing that goes into evidence-based medicine for me. Um, So evidence, experience, right? My experience as a clinician your experience as a person living with with pain, right? What is that experience? And it's where I rely on, you know, I work in my team. I have the, the um, oh, I'm so grateful to have the experience of clinicians that have been working in chronic pain for years and years, right? There is a bit of a network of people that I can reach out to, to kind of pull in, what is your experience? You know, what have you seen? And um, that experience is really, really significant. And, you know, I've been working in chronic pain for a couple of years, but I think about what I've learned over my 20 years as a pharmacist, that experience all counts for something. So there's the evidence piece, there's the experience piece, And then there's that values piece, that individual patient preference values, you know, needs of the patient, right? And we need to pull all three of those things together um, for evidence-based medicine, in in my opinion. So that's kind of part of that holistic approach is making sure that evidence-based medicine looks like that for me, right? Is the evidence, the experience, and the patient, patient preferences. And then the other part, and once again, I'm I'm so thankful to be part of an interdisciplinary team, meaning I work with other healthcare professionals to provide multimodal care. And so this is where um, I'll give you an analogy. This is this is the analogy I use in my work with, with people living with chronic pain. So if you think of your pain as a car um, with four flat tires, all right. If I pump up one of those tires, and let's think of that tire as medication, you're only going to get so far down the road, and it's not going to be an easy ride. No, I don't think I want to drive that car. (laughs) Yep, exactly, exactly. So, you know, those other tires are things like movement, movement, 
or physical medicine. Another tire is mind or psychological strategies, right? How do we bring the mind piece into this? And then that fourth tire is prevention. You know, what is the work that we can do around preventing things in the first place? What are some of the healthy habits or or things that we can incorporate? So, you know, that multimodal approach is like pumping up those four flat tires. So, you know, you've heard me say four P's, three M's. So Mm -hmm. the four P's, uh, there's an awesome infographic floating around um, that talks about those four P's and my program, because I work with physiotherapists, social workers, and uh, pharmacists, we use the the three M's. So mind, movement, and and medication strategies. Um, So we bring all three of those together to help to help folks um, with managing their their chronic pain. And then interdisciplinary teams, right? Obviously, there's a lot of other healthcare professionals that are involved in managing pain. I forgot to mention this. We also um, have the ability to consult a dietitian. Dietitian's diet plays such a big role. Absolutely. Oh, even just thinking about the role of sugar in chronic pain, let alone everything else about diet. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, we have that. And, and, you know, we work to really build connection with other resources in our community and, and help our, the folks living with chronic pain really access some of those other providers in the community. So, you know, a multimodal approach. So focusing on more than just one strategy, bringing all of those strategies together, an interdisciplinary approach. So bringing together several healthcare providers. Um, And then the other piece that I think is important to holistic care and you know, I hope that I get to do more work in this. And I think this is what this podcast and um, some of the other partners in pain work that is happening and the SASC pain work and some of your research I know is really building community and peer support because there is something to be said for having connection with people that share similar experience, right? Um, And that peer support is huge. And I, I hope that, we can continue to build on that in our province, um, just really expanding that and giving people lots of connection. Absolutely. And to tie back, you know, the last thing you said back to the first thing you said, talking about evidence-based medicine and that experience, um, peer support, it plays such an important role because experience is often the best teacher, you know, research and everything and that data, that's all great. I obviously am all for that since that's what I do, but you know, that, that experience is really the basis of all science. And so to have other people around you or connected to you who have gone through similar experiences as you and can speak to, you know, what you deal with on a regular basis is pretty much, I would say the most important thing about chronic pain care in general, because, you know, the invalidation, the, the minimization, the marginalization, the stigmatization, all the Asians that happen when you live with chronic pain, um, can be mitigated, if not eliminated by peer community support. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I, I just went off on a little soapbox rant there, but I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do it. (laughs) And so we're just running up on time here. So I have one last big question for you. Um, and, and tying this all back together to the province of Saskatchewan, where you and I both live and work, um, what is one change that you'd like to see about how medications and chronic pain are handled 
in this province. Okay, so I don't want to talk anyone out of funding pharmacy and medications, but the big change that I would want to see is actually improved access to other therapies. The fact that so many of the folks that I live with, or I live with, I work with, I live with, we're all part of this community of Saskatchewan, right? Yes. Um, The folks I work with, that they don't have access to physiotherapy in the community and mental health support in the community just breaks my heart. So for any government officials that are listening, we need to fund access to other therapies and not necessarily just medications. And I I, I have one other thought that we got to share. Please, I, I yes. Just, I was thinking about like, oh, what's this opportunity? Because I, I love to think and to talk and to have big conversations, Jessica. And so I was thinking about like, what 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 am I kind of working on right now as a healthcare professional? And what what do I want to share with like, People that are out there listening and um, whether it's people living with pain or, you know, other healthcare professionals. And I was, I recently had the privilege and honor of listening to a chat with Erin or a a lecture from Erin Beckwell, who was a recent guest on the podcast as well. And she said something that has me thinking. So I'm going to share this with everyone. Okay. And so this is the line that she said, and she said, let people be human. And I'm thinking about this a lot right now. And I'll tell you why. Because, you know, humans have pain, right? Humans hurt. Um, and humans make mistakes. And humans make poor decisions. And humans are kind. And humans have compassion. And humans just want to do what's best for each other, right? And I feel like when we give each other space to be human, then we connect as humans. And then that's when like amazing things happen. And so that's kind of where I wanted to leave things with the podcast today is like, let's just let people be human and let's celebrate humans and let's connect as humans. I love that. I love it. Thank you so much, Kelly, for all of your wisdom and all of your experience and sharing it with all of us today. I I don't know what else I want to say other than let's just let humans be humans. That's so yep. beautiful. Props to Erin for that. And thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. And uh, thank you. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you, Kelly. For more information on Kelly's work with her team at MedSask, you can visit medsask.usask and you can find this link as well as others in the show notes for today's episode. Thank you for listening to Your Partners in Pain, a podcast for people experiencing pain and those who help individuals living with pain. Funding for this podcast was provided by the Saskatchewan Community Initiatives Fund and the Saskatchewan Pain Society. For more information about our organization or to find additional resources, please find us on social media at SaskPain or visit our official website, www.saskpain.ca.